Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back. And today I'm again talking uh, with Greg Cochran. And uh, today we're going to talk about potential means of increasing IQ. Uh, Greg, how have you been? Oh, all right. So why don't we start with uh, what the Catholic Church did to raise IQ and whether it was intentional or not? Uh, well, what they did, what they pushed that had an effect in that direction was discouraging inbreeding, particular things like uh, first cousin marriage, which uh, at least existed in some places where the Catholic Church became influential and they discouraged it. And since uh, close intermarriage uh, is genetically not too good for you, I mean, for example, on average, with if you have, suppose you had been not Inner, inner, inbreeding before marrying a first cousin, the children have about drops IQ by about five or six points. It uh, increases the amount of kids with a serious genetic problem from about one percent to two percent. So, I mean, in other words, so it's it's two percent in that situation where it'd be one percent in unrelated parents. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, they must have made uh, Europe a little bit smarter uh, in the. You know, in places where previously people had had a lot of such uh, close marriage, uh, just as in other parts of the world, uh, other uh, like under Islam, sort of as an accident, uh, first cousin marriage increased uh, to and is quite common today in some some parts of the Islamic world. Do you know how common it is in different countries? Uh, in place, the high points are some place like Pakistan and. Um, Saudi Arabia and in Saudi Arabia it probably approaches half. Oh, that's that's a lot. Yes, it is. Uh, but uh, anyway, so and uh, do you know when the Catholic Church in Europe tried to discourage cousin marriage? It's been true for a long time, but I don't remember the exact dates. I could look. It's not a secret. I mean, although there are probably details we'd like to know more about. I don't think many people have thought of this in terms of you know, genetic consequences and stuff, but it certainly had some. Uh, the, um, uh, I, it was, you know, it was well before the year 1000, but I don't remember exactly so when. after the fall of Rome, but way before. But, the but not very, probably not very much after the fall of Western Rome, uh, Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. uh, but it might, you know, six, I seem to remember a couple of dates where people were, ha there are some preserved you know, conversations about this 600-something, perhaps. Is there any chance that the Catholic Church did this thinking that it will, you know, make people healthier? I don't think we know for sure. I think there's a chance. Uh, the stuff that is recorded, the idea is to break down tight tribal, tribal boundaries so that, you know, you know, that people are sort of a generic society rather than a bunch of closed, you know, separate groups. The idea is what they talk about is mainly getting people to get along better, not to have feuds, things like that, you know, uh, to uh, to mix up a tribal society. But I can say that many people who uh, bred animals knew that this was a problem, and I suspect they've known it for a very long time, uh, That uh, because it's something that you can easily find out just by by practice. That if uh, relatives are too close, you start to see problems in horse breeding, breeding cows, mm -hmm. pretty pretty much anything. Uh, and I, the earliest quote I have seen, which is paradoxically from an Arab source, it's about the year 800, 814 mm -hmm. or something. And he was saying, well, everybody knows you get into trouble if you do this. Now, he was doing this to criticize some people who tended to live in small groups and were probably marrying their cousins some because they kind of had to. If you're, you know, you, you have 50 people in a, in a town and they only marry within that, within that group. Uh, he was criticizing Jews because he didn't like them. But his example, he said, but well, this is true of many, he says, every camel breeder knows this. And I'm sure they did. Uh, so the question is, did those, uh, those, those guys in the Catholic Church who were working on policy, could some of them have known enough about agriculture to know this? And I'd say the chances are pretty high. Uh, 
And then I mean, he would have had well, to make the leap that what applies to animals also applies to humans. Uh, true, but I don't think that would have seemed utterly surprising. Uh, and it's not impossible if they lived in certain areas where there was close inbreeding that they knew of some uh, bad examples. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, there was a famous case. There was an emperor of the Byzantine Empire, Heraclius. Mm-hmm. He, uh, uh, this might tell us something about the general state of feeling or knowledge, uh, in it, which was, I think, not extremely different in the Orthodox Church either. Uh, they, uh, uh, he married, his first wife died. He had one kid. And then he married his niece, which was, uh, impermissible according to the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, now apparently he did it, you know, maybe because he liked her, but also because I think he felt it was hard to find people he could trust. Yeah. Uh, but it was strongly condemned. And then they had several children and some of those children had health problems. I mean, significant ones. So, uh, I mean, you know, and that's the sort of example you're going to know if it's, uh, and by the way, he was a very famous and for quite a while a successful, uh, emperor. The Persians had conquered much of the, uh, Eastern Roman Empire and he figured a way to defeat them and take it all back, uh, which, you know, in a long war. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, this long war between, uh, you know, between the Persian Empire, the Sassanid Persian Empire, who were Zoroastrians, and the Byzantine Empire went on for very long. When it was when it was over, things were about the border was in the same place, but both sides were exhausted. And it was shortly after that that uh, the Islamic uh, forces made their uh, first moves towards expansion, and this probably helped them succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so you know, all of his work was sort of much of it was sort of destroyed shortly before his death. But anyhow, Heraclius had children. Several of them had health problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget exactly what it was, but they were serious. Uh, this sort of thing that might you might expect, because marrying your niece is really asking for it. It's, it's twice as close as a first cousin. Uh, it's a mistake. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Probably a lot of people had some knowledge of this, but I, I'm not sure that this was part of the uh, of the policy. Uh, but uh, it seems likely that at least some of the people involved knew this. So it's plausible because, that this was a but-for cause of the Enlightenment in Europe, right? That it required... It was something that was probably a boost to Europe in some ways versus other places that either did not do this or, in fact, encouraged cousin marriage, as uh, Islam did in, to some extent. Uh, not, not so much, by the way, in the Quran. It was just, it was a custom of the Southern Arabian tribes that got exported when they conquered people. I don't believe it's actually endorsed specifically in the Quran. Oh, that's good news, and it'll be easier. It would be easier to change if there was the desire to change in the Islamic uh, It's probably still difficult. Uh, but, uh, but, but it is one of the interesting things. It's, it's something that could increase IQ and improve health in the next generation that takes all you have to do is marry someone else, marry somebody not closely related, you know, like, and it's not difficult. There's a lot, there are lots of people who aren't your close relatives in the world. So uh, we need a dating app that automatically excludes people you're related to. That could do a lot of good in the world if we could. We don't need it. Pakistan the, needs it. Saudi Arabia. Mankind needs it. <laughs> there are only a few places where this is common. It's not common in most of India. It's not common in China. It's, it's really only some of the Muslim world where it is common. Okay, okay. And, and something else you mentioned to me before the Catholic Church did was um, suggesting people eat fish on Fridays. Well, there are significant areas. You see, now that doesn't specifically say ocean fish, but in many cases it was. Uh, people in Europe sort of invented deep-sea fishing. As far as we know, the in Roman times they weren't going that far out, but they went out and they were bringing back lots of cod, which they would dry and then sell and export uh, over many areas as well, and later herring. Mm-hmm. And ocean fish has plenty of iodine. Uh, and there are parts of Europe because of the basically the geology. It depends on what's in the rocks, which affects what's in the soil. There are areas of Europe where there are serious shortages of iodine, and if you grow up and without enough iodine in your diet, uh, you're technically a cretin. Uh, you have 
you have problems of development include uh, uh, causing, you know, you have a swollen thyroid gland, but you also have low intelligence. Uh, and this used to be a problem in Switzerland. It used to be a problem in Bavaria. It was a problem in some parts of Europe. But it's a problem that probably got worse after um, the Protestant Reformation because if you were uh, eating um, fish, uh, fish again, in many cases, oceanic fish, on Friday, and also on other feast days, there were something like a hundred days uh, a year where you're supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. It probably meant that you had enough iodine. But if you uh, thought that was just silly superstition, then you uh, <laughs> there are there are places where people got more rational and got uh, suffered, and because you see, if if something works and nobody knows why, it's fairly easy to abandon, even when that's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I would imagine I don't know this for sure but I would imagine that iodine shortages became more severe as places became Protestant <laughs> but I am not sure of that uh, 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 similarly uh, the, the Napoleonic Code uh, when uh, when you had the French Revolution and the ensuing changes uh, the, it made cousin marriage easier than it had been before and I'm sure they thought, well, this is just an arbitrary restriction, but they were wrong. I think if you looked very carefully, see, there were there were sometimes people who wanted to marry their cousin. I mean, besides purely personal reasons, there was a common thing in which you were putting back together part of the grandfather's farm, mm-hmm. you know, which had been broken up by inheritance. But if some of the related people married, see, it's better to have a farm that's in one one piece. Uh, Rather than a part, you know, little pieces scattered, you have to walk it an hour between the pieces. Mm-hmm. So there were practical reasons why certain people wanted to do this. And also, of course, if you have villages that are kind of isolated, you know, a good fraction of the people who you might, who are potential mates, may be relatives. So, uh, uh, but you want to discourage that. But uh, I would think that this stuff, the problems associated with this must have gone up some with the adoption of the Napoleonic Code. But there were, you know, after a while, there were other factors. When people start moving more to cities, you're marrying your cousin starts, mm-hmm. unless you want to, unless you work at it, it's fairly unlikely because you run in enormous numbers of other people uh, who aren't, aren't your cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, in Saudi Arabia, they can live in a city and they still manage. But in general, when places urbanize, this it largely ends. Okay. Uh, when did we figure out that iodine deficiency caused uh, caused significant problems? I think sometime in the 19th century, no earlier, I think, but I, I'm not sure when we actually figured out that the problem was iodine. Uh, I would have to look it up. Uh, but it, I mean, it wasn't known back in the Middle Ages. Uh, generally, no detailed biochemistry things are. I think it was, I mean, I know that we started adding iodine to salt, which, uh, you know, to deal with this problem. In the United States, it was like in the 1920s, so it had to at least be before then, but mm-hmm. I don't know the exact time. Uh, by the way, there were parts of the United States that had a serious iodine shortage, uh, typically up around the upper Great Lakes. Again, it has to do with, uh, you know, d- distance from the ocean means you're less likely to be eating things, uh, eating fish from the ocean, uh, and it depends upon the local uh, rock formations. Mm-hmm. But, th- like, if there were places you had to... Uh, streams going into Lake Erie and you'd see goiters, you know, the swollen thyroid gland on fish in the streams. Mm-hmm. And uh, an interesting, uh, you know, this was after World War One, but before World War Two, and people have looked at the IQ tests they administered in World War One and Two, and some of these areas in places like Michigan, there's pretty good sign people got smarter. Um so significantly so. Could there be other nutrients or substances that right now explain some of the variance in IQ that we just don't know about? Well, it seems unlikely groups that both live in the same town eat at the same fast food places and drink the same water. But somewhere in the world, maybe. I mean, there are still some places in the world where there's at least some iodine shortage and it hasn't been. It's fairly easy to fix, but that doesn't mean it always has been. Well, I mean, things other than iodine. I mean, it, could it be there's some... You know, like some types of vegetable. I'm just making this up, but some types of vegetable oil are really bad for IQ or really good for IQ, and we just don't notice it. It's conceivable. Uh, 
I would say it is not too likely we're going to see an effect as big as iodine that has never been noticed before. Uh, you know, with iodine, you know, you you knew there was something wrong with those villi- you know, those villages. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, here, I if there's something that's both that widespread and that obvious, I, I doubt it. But there might be, uh, there could be cases somewhere. But, and the, but they think could be things new, that are smaller that have like a few IQ point difference. Or that affect small areas, uh, mm-hmm. or areas that have not are not very developed, and you know somewhere in the backwoods of Tibet, who knows what's what's going on there. Uh, but you know, for most of the world, people are aware, and even in some of the most backward and vicious governments of the world, will support uh, iodized salt, since you know it's not really fun to oppress stupid people. Uh, and another thing is, it's incredibly cheap. Uh, you can, you know, the amount of iodine you need to add to the salt to take care of the whole country costs, I don't know, a few hundred dollars or something. It's, it's really cheap. It's a good deal. Uh, uh, yeah, for example, I think it's Turkmenistan, which is, has a government that likes to, you know, boil people alive, but even they do that. Uh, they, 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 they're pushing for, uh, iodized salt. Okay. So let's talk about, um, other means we could use to increase IQ if, if we wanted to. So, you know, what you you've talked in your blog about getting rid of mutational load that might be something we could do sometime in the future mutational load is you know the sum of all the mutations that are not that are in some way less than good and you know most mutations most new things they either do nothing or they do something bad of of an important small fraction does something good but that's rare and this is the argument and that if you randomly change something in a recipe you're almost certainly going to make it you must something, to make it worse than better right something like that yeah. uh and everybody has some of these mutations uh cuz they're always happening and they're gra- they're gradually being removed by natural selection uh but that is particular but you, it takes a while and since to remove any given one, uh, and since there's a constant flow of new mutations, uh, at steady state, there is a, you know, that you have a fair number of them. Uh, we'll call this, you know, the average mutational burden, mm-hmm. and, uh, anyway, it probably, it varies some. It's a, it's a random variable, but essentially everybody has it. Uh, now the interesting thing is we don't have the same ones. Uh, so for example, if you, if one of your grandfathers had a particular mutation, that may be less than good. I mean, nothing terrible, or you would know about it, but less than good. Uh, then, uh, I mean, I probably do. do I probably do as well. But my, since I have a different grandfather, I think, then uh, 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 I have a different mutation. So uh, everybody has some of these, but individually, any given one is rare because, uh, and they don't tend to spread far uh, because they're they're not good. Okay. Uh, but uh, but everybody has some now. Theory says if you could fix them, and, you know, just put in sort of the common working version of mm-hmm. that gene, uh, that uh, that you would have big improvements in health and fitness. But you know, we, it's not something we actually can do at this point. Although we're getting to the point where we might be able to in the near future. Uh, Probably first for you know farm animals or something there, where where an error would not be disastrous, but there is something we do that uses this idea, and something practical we already do. Uh, it turns out that when you have hybrid vigor, you you breed two pure strains of some plant or animal, mm-hmm. uh, and when and the offspring in many cases seem to have you know to be healthier to have more fit. They may be larger. They may grow faster. They may be tougher. And the, and as far we we now say strongly suspect and probably tentatively believe that the main reason this works. By the way, we did it for years without knowing how it works, but we know more now. Is that that you the reason two strains turn out to be a good match is they have complementary errors. Uh, you know, if you have a bad gene in one strain, the in many cases. The other, the other strain has a good one. Uh, and the hybrid, of course, has one of each. Mm-hmm. And typically, having one working gene largely fixes the problem. You don't have to have both working. So, uh, the, you know, hybrid vigor, as demonstrated in corn, in maize, is a good example of what a partial fix of genetic load might 
be like. Uh, and it means that, uh, well, I mean, today, corn yields are six times higher than they were back in 100 years ago. Uh, some of that is fertilizer, except uh, pesticides, but probably half of it is is hybrid vigor. So does this have the potential of creating people who are smarter than ever existed by quite a bit? If you could, what if you started out with a, a group of people who are already pretty smart, mm -hmm. and then, assuming you knew enough to do it, which I don't, part of this problem is you need to recognize how deleterious uh, uh, mutations are. Although I guess if you just fixed all, it, one approach, which probably would work, is if it's rare, it's bad. Mm -hmm. Fix all the rare things and replace them with sort of standard versions. It's like you're fixing typos in a manuscript. Yeah. Okay, if you did this and you started out with a group that was, you know, whose parents were, you know, somebody whose parents was already pretty smart, you might end up with somebody smarter than we've ever seen. It's possible. I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, naturally we would do this first on, you know, non-human tests. We would want to increase the intelligence of chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. Or, or we would do it first on the children of crazy billionaires or something. Um but. Well, they're actually, you know, since although this has promise, it is risky like everything else when brand new. I'll bet we'll do it on animals first. Besides, it's just an excuse to make more more uh, 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 more movies. Yes, because well. uh, you know that's how they start. I believe Planet of the Apes movies uh, is we 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 start doing. Uh, yeah. They don't specify this particular kind of genetic improvement, but they specify some kind. And this is the only one I know how to do. And the advantage of this is we, we don't have to know the relate, what genes do for intelligence, right? We don't have to figure all that out. We can just say, if it's rare, replace it with something common. Yes. That's, so that. It's, it's one of the interesting things about genetics, uh, is how far you can go without knowing a whole lot of details about what's going on. So I mean, all, all we have to do is get a lot better at like with CRISPR and be able to make more gene edits without introducing new errors. Uh, well, I'd like to test it further before using it on humans, but in theory, yes. I mean, that seems like if, if a, a, an enormous, there's an enormous upside to that for our species. And that would seem it's not, I mean, if, you know, we put a, billions of dollars into it, that would be something where we could achieve a fantastically good outcome. Well, that probably means we won't do it then. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, by the way, there would be side effects. You would also be healthier and probably live longer. Okay, I, I could live with that. I, I, you just want to warn people about that sort of thing. Uh, would you be better you might, looking, though? Probably, yes. <laughs> it seems rather unfair altogether, but uh, yes, uh, uh that's that's you know that's likely what would happen if you reduce the number of broken genes, uh, you know let's say you know for simplicity to zero, um, people mm -hmm. would somebody in that condition, they wouldn't have new features. I mean they wouldn't have a third eye or anything. They would just mm -hmm. have everything they've got would work better. That's that'd be useful. Yeah. How many of these um, rare mutations are there in a particular person's DNA? Is it in the thousands, the millions? Probably the thousands. The okay. problem is, uh, part of the problem is ones that have a slight negative effect linger a long time. And, but, but they, but they add, their effects add up. So, I mean, imagine you had a mutation that dropped your fitness by 1%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it would gradually tend to be eliminated by selection, but on average, it would take a hundred generations, which is, you know, something close to 3,000 years to eliminate it. So, mm -hmm. you know, they don't disappear instantly. They're always being – and these – the hard part would be, you know, understanding and eliminating the ones – the many ones that have slight negative effects. If you have something with a big negative effect, it would be easy to recognize. Uh, but most of us probably don't have much of that. Uh, right. I mean – you Go ahead. If you were going to eliminate, like, say, just a thousand of them, you'd want to do the thousand rarest if you didn't have any extra information, and that wouldn't be that awful a, a rule of thumb, right? Probably. Uh, I mean, what you're really looking for is the thousand with the largest negative effects. But unless we understand better what you know those effects are, uh, by the way, one reason it's hard to understand their negative effects is also because they're rare. Uh, 
I mean, we might have only a limited number of people to look at who carry the, carry a given uh, negative mutation. That makes it harder to study. Uh, but uh, in principle, we I would say we're bound to get better because I mean, hell, we we know so little today. We, could, we it's hard to get worse. Uh, but but theory does say you know they should be rare, and the rarity should tell you something. So if you had uh, uh, and I don't mean rare in terms of most of the human race doesn't have. I mean, there are things like, you know, the gene that makes you red gives you the genes, the, the alleles that give you red hair. As far as I know, that doesn't do you any harm other than make you more, easy, you know, more vulnerable to sunlight. But, you know, they're globally, they're rare, but they're not regionally rare. I mean, they can be common in places like Ireland or Norway. Yeah. And, and I doubt if they do you harm other than, although I suppose they do increase your risk of skin cancer. Uh, but they don't materially increase it in Ireland because Ireland is so far north and so cloudy. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is something that we might come to be able to do, uh, that theory has a path to. And you can try it on uh, other cre- – I mean, I would expect truthfully that first people would do it in dogs. And nobody would mind if you had a healthier dog. But if you got to the point where dogs you know, started to say, huh, you know, the dog is starting to – he doesn't just bring in the paper, you know. He reads, he reads it. it. Yeah. That then I think that people would be impressed and want to go do more with it. Uh, and you know, of course, one of the things is dogs don't live all that long, which is a sad thing for most of us. And even if you could just say, when we do this, uh, let's say a dog that would have lived to be 12 years old now lives to be, let's say, 16, people would notice a change, you know, and it would it, it would be a tremendous. Uh, Example of what could be done with these techniques if people started getting dogs that, uh, you know, were, you know, a step above the average dog. So we'll probably do it though on very short-lived creatures first, right? Like fruit flies or mice, just so we can tell it's living longer. Yeah, I mean, I would think so. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure at first people will do it even on simpler things than that. But yeah, um, probably. Uh, but uh, but if you're talking about differences in behavior. Uh, or differences in uh, – you might be bigger. I mean, that's a typical thing that happens. In plants with hybrid vigors, they tend to be bigger. Uh, now, by the way, with humans, like one thing that in theory you may need to worry about is like if it were not for our uh, less than good mutations, maybe we'd be taller. Maybe we'd be too tall. It's possible to be too tall because the human body is not really designed to be eight feet tall. Your your legs are your your knees in particular not really up to it? <coughs> well, could we correct that by removing growth hormones from somebody? Probably, but but in principle there can be too much of a good thing too, mm-hmm. and you would want to think about that uh, before you went uh, enthusiastically started trying to do this to everybody I, in sight. I mean, what's if we really cared about this? Like, what's a time frame where we we could start doing this on say mice? Would ten years be reasonable for something? Uh, maybe. Okay. I, it doesn't strike me as impossible. Uh, I mean, it also depends. Since you could do, you could get rid of the, you can do this in diff to different degrees. You could say we remove the the top 100 negative mutations, and and later we'll remove the top 1,000, which will not be 10 times better, but will be some better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, can I imagine them do, knocking out a, you know, fixing a hundred things? At this point, I can, yeah, uh, in 10 years uh, or maybe less. Uh, but I don't know how many people are interested in it. Uh, I mean, uh, the government does not put much money into uh, uh, anti-aging research. Uh, and the average biologist, uh, I mean, all the theory I just mentioned, yeah. the average biologist is unaware of it, including the, probably the average person who does CRISPR. The average, you know, biologists, Again, this is a broad brush, and it isn't always true, it's, but it's mostly true. They don't believe in theory, and they don't know it, even when it exists. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But some of them could be persuaded, uh, particularly if you offer them money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but will, uh, will the people who do animal breeding, do they believe in this kind of thing? Whoever they believe. You know, I, I, this, this sounds screwy, but... It would be far easier to explain it to them because they're, you know, these guys, uh, you know, they are breeders. They they think about these questions, and I suspect that, uh, 
I mean, for example, the things I talked about, which is what is going on with hybrid vigor, that's a question of interest to them. Uh, many of them would know it. Uh, so, you know, like, you get more sophistication in, I mean, in animal breeding than you do in geneticists to come out of medicine. Okay, so if we want to convince the world to do this, we should for, we should start with people who, you know, I don't know what the word is, but do something with cows, the, the companies that try to design better cows and chickens. I think if you really wanted to reach people, you started getting uh, uh, smarter, healthier, uh, longer-lived dogs might be the most, uh, you know, because, you know, it would hit people where they live. People are, <laughs> A lot of people have lost a dog because of its age when they themselves were not very old uh it's it's a very common shared experience i think if people said you know we can finally get you a dog that will at least outlive you when you're 60 well mm -hmm. we can't now i mean it might but you know generally it won't uh but that that possibly could change uh although actually i mean i can't tell you exactly how much longer uh a creature with low genetic load would live but it's probably some uh i would estimate probably in the order of a minimum of with humans of five years more, maybe more. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I mean, there's an interesting phenomena, which is smarter people live noticeably longer, and it's hard to tie this to any particular thing they do. It may be, if you pick somebody who's very smart, he's probably already got lower genetic load than average. Mm-hmm. Do you know and, how uh, much of the variance of human IQ is explained by genetic load? Would you have a good a guess for that? It's only a guess at this point. I mean, the rest is a, is affected by various alleles that are more common, that are mm -hmm. not you know purely deleterious. It might be half. That I mean, that's a huge amount, though. And it, it's it's significant. Uh, and by the way, if it was forty percent, it wouldn't surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was fifty-five. But it's something like that, probably something like half. Uh, when people use PRS scores and stuff, those PRS scores can't detect this. That's one of the sources of the limited accuracy. So of, wait, what is a PRS score? A PRS score is a – there are other variants that are fairly common, and people can do statistical investigations, you know, genome-wide association studies, GWAS, that uh, of look for which variants give you a little plus in some trait or a little – uh, which common variants give you a little plus or a little negative? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can make a an index by adding up all the pluses and minuses to see how what's your score. Mm -hmm. And those, when we can do this for a number of things, we can do this for uh, things like your risk of obesity, your your how likely you are to be a given. You know, you can use it to predict height. You can use it uh, to uh, predict how likely you are to graduate from college. It gives some predictive power, but there are many of these variants. We've only we found some, not all. And the other thing is the rare variants that we would call genetic load. We essentially can't find with this approach. I mean, if it's only in you and your immediate ancestors, mm -hmm. we mean it's not easy to find using this approach. Uh, you know, here we're finding what things do by looking at them in different people and see what effect they have. If you have something that's limited to you. In this, you know, in the strongest case, like let's suppose this mutation that happened in the sperm that led to you, well, mm -hmm. no one else has it, uh, and there's no real simple statistical way to see what its effects are. I mean, if its effects are strong, and you know, you have, you know, two heads, you know, we'll notice that. But uh, at any rate, uh, GWAS uh, uh, scores have some predictive power, and they're going to be interesting, uh, but. Uh, if we, you know, this is, a, you know, it's sort of an adjacent area, which the GWAS doesn't work in. Okay. Uh, another potential way of creating a lot of smart people is just to clone people who, you know, were or are very smart. We get John von Neumann's DNA and we make a clone of it. How close are we to being able to clone humans? Well, I don't, uh, you know, we clone other things with good success. We clone dogs, cats, horses, lots of livestock Okay, there are cases where we could do more, but the rules forbid it. The reason we don't clone, uh, at least officially, we don't clone uh, thoroughbred racehorses is because the rules forbid it. The, but we could do it. Whose we, rules? We, are the, the racing association? The, the racing association. Okay. Yes. So this is <laughs> uh, but we do. There are people who do it with horses. There's a guy who's a 
on a you know a serious polo player, and he mm. said, I, I really feel happy with this horse. And when it got too old, I decided I wanted it again, and he's done it repeatedly. He has clones of the same horse that he uses, and he said it works. Are the clones worse, and you know whatever however you define worse than the original is like a faded not, copy? Not significantly. And I mean, is we're it, also. Oh. Is there a reason to think it's harder to clone humans than horses or dogs? It would be in the short run harder because whenever people have done this, I mean, the first known example we know in mammals was a sheep some -hmm. some years ago, Dolly. Uh, It turns out you seem to have to adjust these methods for each species, and that's probably something that takes like a few years of work to find out what works well. Uh, And some may seem to be actually more – I think they've generally succeeded in the cases they've tried, but some were easier than others. Uh, I seem to remember it was either cats or dogs were relatively hard. I can't remember which one, but they routinely do those. Uh, they have not developed these techniques for humans, and they would probably be able to, but you would have the adjusted, the cloning techniques for humans, which might take a few years. Uh, other than that, yeah, they could probably do it. Now, uh, what, what do you need to clone somebody? Is it enough just to have their DNA? Could you go to a graveyard and get that, or do you need cells? Probably, probably you could. Uh, but in the short term, it's much easier to get DNA from living uh, creatures. Yeah. But uh, but yes, we've all thought detailed thoughts about how we uh, – well, Not we all. All but... the grave – well, <laughs> you and I have. Yeah, well, of uh, course we have. A, yeah, uh, but but – uh, uh, so this seems like a major fail of our soul. I mean, we we could be making thousands of copies of John von Neumann, I, you know, Isaac Newton, Einstein's, with a few years of effort, and we're not. I, what the hell? Well, I mean, they probably just solve problems we don't want to know the answers to. I mean, it's fair to we'll say put them that on an island, we'll only give them certain questions. We'll have someone read it to make sure they're not giving us extra information. I mean, they'll say a- they'll say the mere fact you put me on an island and are only asking me certain questions has many implications, all of which I can figure out. Uh, and uh, yeah. and also, he says you you really think that. We can't escape if we want to. I mean, we're smarter than you are. Uh, Einstein probably couldn't. Von Neumann probably could. Einstein, I imagine, isn't practical enough to. Einstein was actually involved at least a certain amount. uh, Like he invented a new kind of refrigerator that people actually uh, got some patents on and sold. He wasn't, you know, really averse to practical things, even though that wasn't his main strength. well, we'll do uh, it with Isaac Newton and then tell him that God needs him to stay there. We probably could get him to believe that. That would be your interpretation of God. He said, only I can be trusted. <laughs> uh, by the way, he also built some things. He built the first – you know, he did practical experiments to it's, you know, to show the, uh, the white light could be uh, – yeah. you know, was made out of many colors. He built he, the first reflecting telescope. Uh, he, he, could, he occasionally would build things. Uh, but uh, – yeah, I mean, we probably could, but, you know, I would say, if anything, there is not much interest in it, and it's probably decre- decreasing. How, that just seems crazy to me. I mean, I'm too old this, but, I mean, I would love to, like, raise Einstein or von Neumann as a child. I mean, if that service was available, like, you know, like my own child, but it'd also be kind of neat to say, hey, you're von Neumann's DNA. That'd probably be fun to... Uh, I think it's, fine. it's some... fine. It's time to finally tell you. Not everybody else is exactly like you. But it doesn't take that many of me. I don't want the whole world to be von Neumann. I want a few thousand of them every generation. There's got to be that many people. I mean. Oh, by the way, uh, it uh, background among the people who hung out with von Neumann, which meant many another Nobel Prize winner in physics or prominent mathematician. Mm-hmm. It was generally thought that Johnny's not like the rest of us. Johnny's smart. Yeah. I mean, you had people who had already won a Nobel Prize in physics saying that about him. So yeah, he was pretty smart. Uh, but uh, I mean, they were, you know, they they were impressed. I mean, people said like like uh, Edward Teller, uh, who was you know one of the crucial guys in developing the hydrogen bomb. He was talking about a party. He was over at von Neumann's house, and somebody brought a little a little kid, a three year old, and von Neumann was seriously talking to the little kid, and in you know sort of had scaled his conversation down so they were talking as equals, and mm-hmm. then and then uh, Teller said, "Is that how he talks to me?" <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but uh, or then there was the time that he had a Byzantine history professor 
uh, that he was talking to. You know, you know, he was at Princeton or near, actually near Princeton at the Institute for Advanced Study, uh, and the, the professor was kind of saddened to find out that von Neumann knew a lot more about Byzantine history than he did. Uh, but at uh, uh, any rate, uh, I think that um, that that you have to consider the uh, the you know the uh, the tenor of the times the uh, and I think it's probably very negative for this and getting rapidly worse. But it it just takes a small number of people to do it. I think like if the Chinese started to do it, wouldn't we have to? to? I mean, we would be terrified that they'll take us over soon. Well, but we're bad. We deserve it. We, the, do, uh, if we, we do deserve it if we don't clone – if we could clone by Neumanns and we're not doing it, we do deserve a bad fate. That's just such an epic fail. I think uh, – I don't actually because we might have a chance to get over it. But I think that uh, – uh, I think there's a lot – a lot of people who would try to make it illegal and probably succeed. But not throughout the world. I mean – no, but here so, and in Western Europe. So what? Which, you go someplace else and you, they, you get the embryo, you have it implanted in you. I'm not convinced. I mean, by the way, the one thing people have oftentimes says, well, the Chinese would do it. And I can tell you that I've heard people say this about many given things, and not one of them I ever have I ever heard of, known a case in which the Chinese ended up actually doing that fascinating thing that was sort of against the rules. Ah, uh, I bet they'll cheat at the Olympics. Oh, that sure. Don't worry. Everyone will do that. That's okay. So we're, we're, willing to strong... sac- we're willing to sacrifice young kids, give them these drugs, so they can win in a race. That we're willing to do as a civilization. But cloning von Neumann—that's beyond the pale. Sure. Because just running really quickly—that's what matters. I mean, not go read the New York Times. Which do you... <laughs> that is exactly the way that the people running this society are. That's what that. But not uh, everybody. I mean, why isn't like like Peter Thiel or some billionaire saying, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to put some money into cloning von Neumann." Maybe he is, and I have no well, reason to think can, he is. But. Can Can you imagine? Uh, and you and you knew him slightly, I right? Went to I mean, it's with him, yes. Yes, but did you? Can, can you imagine a world in which when somebody gives a talk, the sort of talk that Peter Thiel might be interested in, but everybody has to meet secretly? I. I can definitely imagine such a world. You, you yes. should be able to imagine such a world. <sighs> so hopefully he's doing this. I probably not listening, but if you are or any of your people, please, this is like the well, most effective you know, thing you can do. Create lots of annoyments for us. I'll I could I'll write him an email or something. I mean, it's, anyone but, listening uh, knows Peter. Please, we need annoyments. This is within your capacity. And I think after this is like going to be bad. It'll make you look bad, but not nearly as bad as supporting Trump does in the eyes of most people in Silicon so he's, Valley. So, so he's already he's so already he's paid already, the cost. He's already paid the social cost. There's so. there's no there's you're already at yes. What is it? Well, well we're, uh, you, nothing more to lose. Uh, but uh, yes. uh, I I don't actually know. I mean, look, I, no, we had a small thing, which was somebody edited a fertilized egg. As far as I know, it's, this, this is, is how it's right. Right. Now, they made what was essentially an insignificant change. It was just to show that they could do a change. Mm-hmm. They talked about the reason for it, but there wasn't any reasons for it. What it was, was there is a gene that in a certain fraction of people in Northern Europe, like maybe 10%, they have at least one copy of an inactive form of this gene. 1% of the people have, let's say, no working copy, and it doesn't really seem to do any harm. I mean, there are some, there are things like that, where, you know, maybe it does something, but it's something that you generally don't need. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, CCR5. Uh, it's a chemokine receptor, I believe. At any rate, he did a different knockout of this. Now, the one advantage to it is if you particularly have two copies, it seems like it's very hard to catch HIV. Mm-hmm. That this plays some role in the uh, process by which the virus infects cells. Yeah. And if you happen to have no working copy, you're very unlikely to catch it, even if you're exposed. And so he made another, not the same exact uh, change as this common knocked out version. He made a different knocked out version. Uh, now, I don't think it probably had much of an effect. I mean, I mean, for one thing, it's easy to avoid getting HIV anyhow. And as, and as far as we know, it doesn't do anything else. But this was just a demonstrator. And apparently just to get himself into trouble, because I think he did get into trouble in China. And mm-hmm. many, many geneticists explain, well, we don't, I mean, for example, uh, many geneticists condemn this. And, mm-hmm. you know, and since 
you know, since these techniques are not perfect and are relatively new, it's not impossible you could end up causing some sort of harm. I mean, there is such a thing as doing things too soon. Yes. Uh, but uh, now I don't think there was any sign that that happened in this case, but it was certainly something to think about. But I don't think that's the main reason that many geneticists were against it. I would imagine there were other reasons, which might be a mix of reasons. One of them, I think a common one, was says, if, if people think genetics leads to doing stuff like this, maybe they don't want to fund genetics. If there are a lot of people who might not like the idea of cha- editing people or changing people, uh, or the geneticist in question might be one of those pe- persons who doesn't want anybody to make such changes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know all the reasons, but I know that they generally – I also know that I, I'm not absolutely sure they meant what they said, So, which which argues sort of for the my first argument that we don't want to get trouble out of this. Uh, what also not, could be, I mean, I'm not a mind reader. I don't if it know. wasn't that hard, each geneticist would say, well, I could have done that, but I didn't because it's against the rules. So I don't want this other guy to go down in history and is famous for doing something I could have done. Well, that's like possible. If, if Although, you, you cheated know, a test and don't, you're going to get really mad at the person who beats you by cheating. There, you know, a lot of there, there are different kinds of geneticists. Some of these guys are doing, you know, they, they, maybe use similar techniques on animals or something. There are also a lot of people who are statistical, you know, they're data processing guys. And, you know, as opposed to doing uh, work with living systems, those guys could have opinions, but it's not something they could immediately do themselves if their specialty is, you know, is uh, bioinformatics or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although they might collaborate with somebody who could. Uh uh, I don't know all the things they're thinking, and if I did, I'd probably just be horrified, so it's better not to know. Uh, yeah, of course, if, if we combine cloning with getting rid of mutational load, right, we get John von Neumann's DNA, we get rid of the thousand rarest mutations, then we're, sure. just, we're at the level of the gods. Although one of the things with von Neumann is, I said, you know, there are very few uh, mutations that seem to have a plus. Yeah. But you, with von Neumann, I want to look just to see if he happened to have any of the ones. Oh, that that's did. true. He's going to be when the outlier. Start, so that well, could be. it would probably only matter if you had an individual mutation that had a fairly strong effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the sort of thing you might notice in some very unusual person. But, uh, uh, yeah, probably you'd be better off. Besides, you could always do it both ways and see. Yeah, of course. So you make multiple copies doing all the different variants, and we, you know, let them fight it out. To... Well, w- w- one one thing that many of us might be concerned is what are the things that could let individuals who already that might do positive things for individuals who already exist. I mean, for example, hard as it is to imagine, the people who run society often are interested in their things that help them as opposed to the future. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, for example, if you were a Chinese dictator, uh, how fascinated would you be with the idea of producing a bunch of young guys who would be better at most things than, let's say, your you or perhaps your kids? I think a lot of people would say, I, I, I'm not really thrilled by that. Right. Remember, well, you could take your kids and reduce their genetic load. And that well, way, not if they not if they're already 25 years old right. with this well, the, not with, the, not well, with this your, class. Your grandkids then. Uh, the point is, you, you might be creating as a. The question is, if you can control these people, you can use them. But you might be creating rivals, and why would anybody want to do that? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, and we're talking about the elites in Washington. Christ, everybody's already a rival because they aren't all that bright. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, one thing which is, I think something Trump has run into, which is a not loudly voiced but universally shared belief in Washington is that all of my dumb nephews get to get a, a, a juicy f- job connected with my the fact that I'm I'm prominent. Yes, that seems to be the pattern. And uh, violating, threatening that is That's an impeachable very, offense, yes. That is, certainly is, yes. Uh, and, I, and I can think of a long, and there are many, many such jobs that some of them are like being on the Federal Communications Commission or, you know, but there's also – or being on the board of Amtrak. We're getting a bit off track though. For There are many. Yes. Uh, but yeah, how could you increase the IQ of someone who already has been born? What? We don't really know how, I don't think. Uh, I mean I don't really have – 
I mean, if I knew everything in the universe, I could, you could probably do it. It's not against the laws of physics, but you know, the, the methods we talked about that you know for future kids, mm-hmm. there are theoretical reasons to think that there are things we could do, or at least do in the let's say twenty-year future that yeah. we could. But I mean, I don't really know how to do it. I mean, now we have all sorts of people who pretend to do things, you know, like have your baby listen to Mozart, but that doesn't work. Okay. Or, or, is it that we know it doesn't work, or is it just that we don't have evidence that it works? Oh, that one people looked at. We know it doesn't work. In fact, I would say – no, I can't say this for every conceivable thing because there's things nobody has done. But in terms of ones that are generally talked about, none of them – I mean, like sending your kid to a, to a real high-pressure school, I don't think it makes you smarter. Wow. So, uh, and in fact – it's not much evidence that there's a real reason for the for private. You know, Plowman talked about this with the British system of private schools, which they confusingly call public schools. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you know, Plowman is you know a well-known guy doing behavioral genetics. He was looking at behavioral genetics and intelligence. Uh, his conclusion was that the reason graduates of say Eton do better is they only let the smarter people in in the first place and that the added value conferred by the class of private schools we're talking about is effectively zero. It doesn't make you better. Now, would I say this about, uh, let's say, some expensive private college? Yes, Mm -hmm. I would say the same thing. Would I say this about Harvard? I said, looks like it. Would I say it about this Caltech? I said, probably. Probably Caltech as well. I don't... Uh, private schools in the United States, probably true. Uh, now, so as a now, you might say it might be the case, or it might not. Then some of those things, it's a signal. I mean, so you might do better if you were Harvard, even if you aren't better personally than you would have been if you had right. gone. It's all selection to, effect. Right, but the point is, it's at least likely true that on a societal level, it's all a waste. It's a very expensive waste. It is. Uh, now, it may or may not be on an individual level. I mean, if you say, well, I proved, you know, I proved I could get in, uh, although, you know, I just tried to put, you know, little stoppers in my ears for the entire time I was at that school, so I wouldn't have to listen to a lot of nonsense. Yes. But it's, uh, there's, uh, I would say to a pretty good approximation, I, I said, look, we found real evidence that iodine supplementation in, Increased uh, scores on army, you know, uh, IQ tests between mm-hmm. the wars. Okay, what other? Uh, there could be other things like that, but the problem is, even to the extent there are, we've probably already done them. I mean, like, like I don't know if having tuberculosis had a similar effect, but I do know either way we've got almost completely gotten rid of tuberculosis. Well, what about lead? Is that could that have been reducing IQ? Lead in the atmosphere and. You know, maybe, uh, but again, we've largely reduced it now. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the thing about lead was, you know, people who don't believe it most of the days of the week would believe this. I, I said, I, I, that always confused me, but you know, it's not, I mean, lead is definitely not good for you. It, it wouldn't surprise me if the general ideas about not just that it's toxic and is bad for you mentally, but how toxic they may be approximately correct. Just there were always things that made me wonder. I said, because if this were true, like if you lived off on a farm, you were never going to get the kind of lead that happened if you lived next to a freeway. Right. And so people out in the sticks should have been smarter than people in the cities, but I don't think they were. Uh, so well, One thing that does confuse me is you, you know, the Flynn effect, where at least measured IQ has been going steadily up for quite a long time. And that is an that seems to be kind of evidence that something environmental is going on. Uh, I think it's mostly uh, something close to increased familiarity with these kinds of questions and tests. Uh, so I you mean, think it's just testing bias? I don't think people really got smarter because in terms of you know, solving all sorts of problems and coming up with clever ideas, and I don't see more of it. Uh, although it's complicated because you know, maybe it's getting hard to invent things because we've done the easy things. It's hard to be sure. But, but there are... Uh, one part of this, uh, which I feel I understand fairly well, is you know there are some math-related questions in the ice Q tests, and the scores have not gotten much better on them. Mm-hmm. 
by not much better. I mean, since they first started recording them on something standard like the Wexler, it's gone up three points over 70 years where there was much bigger changes on the overall IQ. I suspect that, uh, I mean, like if we say the most important thing in, I, in IQ is the ability to finally learn enough math to do complicated things, there not being any other way to do those complicated things except through math, mm-hmm. people have not gotten much mathier. Okay. I don't believe. Uh, so I don't really think it's real. I mean, I mean, it's complicated because there are ongoing trends. Uh, I mean, like, could it be true that uh, skipping uh, the mumps, the measles, uh, and in poorer parts of the world, uh, you know, getting rid of malaria, I mean, which could be a much more serious disease, mm-hmm. could that help IQ? I said, I don't know. Maybe it could. It wouldn't seem implausible. It's, there are certain models that are generally embraced that have, never seem to work. And also seem implausible to me, which is like having somebody stand up in front of you and saying certain things is going to make you smarter, which is essentially the thesis what, of things like uh, what I do uh, basically. But yes. uh, uh, growth mindset uh, and many another thing. Well, no, mm-hmm. but you, there is something you can be doing which could actually justify your pay that is not making people smarter. It's making people have more knowledge, and that is a separate thing. It's and it is worth at least something. That I have to be teaching things that they'll use when they graduate directly, and that's not then really we'd be what thinking, we do. We'd be thinking other. Well, if they, if they, like, if uh, if they remember a good fraction of everything they're exposed to in school, who knows? It might be many years later when finally. Uh, of course, the problem is with most people that isn't true. Most people don't remember very well. Yeah. Uh, most people uh, are fairly good at remembering things that they work on, but I seem to remember you were talking about if you give sort of a general economics exam to somebody who's actually working as an economist but has been out of school for five years, they tend to do poorly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of depressing. But you can make people better at specific skills, right? You I mean, you do get better at writing if you've written a lot. You do get better at computer programming the more programming you take. So that... Uh, well, they, they people try to fight that tendency by switching computer languages every four years. The, uh, uh, there must be, be some transfer, though, right, between being good Oh, there can language. be, but part of it is that, see, like there's a lot of things in which you get better to some extent with experience, but at least most people stop getting better after a while. For example, who do you think you would be more likely to survive with? A guy who is a, uh, let's say, he's three years past a, a quality residency uh, doctor, mm-hmm. or somebody who's 15 years past a quality residency doctor? The answer is probably the same. That's when people have, They don't news. seem to keep it. By the way, yeah. you do get better for a while. You're learning things and getting in practice. You really actually, actually have to learn to, to do that heart surgery quickly. It works better when it's done quickly, mm-hmm. but it saturates pretty rapidly. And then as you get older, you're – Depending on how rapidly the field is changing, you may be a bit obsolete in what your knowledge, and of course your mind is slowing down. And for all you know, you know, you, you get a 65-year-old doctor operate on you, he'll have a heart attack in the middle of doing your heart surgery, and that's a bummer. Okay. Uh, the uh, uh, there's a lot of things where people don't keep getting better that much, uh, and companies have found that uh, they're always looking for ways to fire them because they kind of expect raises things over time Mm -hmm. and said, why don't we just hire somebody new, ideally from Bangladesh. Uh, And um, although actually, you know, in those cases, even when they are better, they tend to want to hire the cheaper guy. I mean, it can be better to hire economically to buy a guy who's not really as good, but is half as expensive. Oh, certainly, yes. Perfect. Although you don't be surprised if, uh, you know, Odd things happen occasionally to the software on your jet. Uh, It it, it might depend on exactly how, uh, you know, how sensitive to failure your particular task is. Well, as an economist, I should point out, we we don't want jets to be too safe because then they'll be more expensive and people will drive. So having cheaper, less reliable jets will probably save transport lives. I think we're making – there's a fair chance we're going to have a lot of progress in that area. Good, good. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, there are other things like that. Like, you can probably remember using landlines where you could talk to somebody for maybe an extended period without uh, having them 
drive behind a tall building or have the batteries yes. run out on their cell phone or and the quality was reliably good you know yeah. they were over investing and uh you know you could talk to somebody you could even hear their emotions in their voice and thank god that's over at any rate yes. uh but okay. back back to methods of making people smarter i said we i think our most of our successes have been finding why various generally believed in methods don't work mm-hmm. uh but as for doing things to people who are already here, already grown up, I think we know very little about how to do it. Uh, That's uh, unfortunate. But It's not yeah. saying that it is against all principles that there could be a way, but it might be something drastic. I mean, we might have to learn so much that we make you go through something like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly and you have to, you know, we have to put you into a, into a container and let you liquefy for a while before we reform everything. Uh, that sounds that's pretty drastic. Uh, mm. It relates to an interesting question: Do butterflies retain memories when they were caterpillars? I've seen at least one uh, article that claims they do, which is interesting. Uh, but uh, I'm not positive. I think it needs to be confirmed. But uh, uh, but how about if you could find ways to make your intelligence decline more slowly? That would that, be good. I mean, doesn't exercise supposedly do that? I mean, uh, probably some, but you know, like putting my finger on it. The big problem is things related. Is well, the biggest one is probably Alzheimer's, yeah. and we haven't had any success. And if we did have success, that would be a big gain. Uh, we have some theories of how it works. We have done at least twenty different drug development things that got to, you know, fairly widespread trials based on those theories, and none of them have worked. Uh, and some of the ones based on them failed even before they got to the larger trials. Uh, nothing, nothing based on the amyloid theory has worked. I think it would be a good idea if people widened the research sphere a little bit and looked at at least some other ideas that haven't been extensively proven not to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, do you think it might be a virus or bacteria that plays a big role? Or some other thing I haven't thought of. But whatever it is, it doesn't seem to be what they've been doing. You know, it's it's about it's not worked about as much as you'd think they could stand at this point. Uh, uh, you know, it's no, it isn't impossible that it's that it's a, a virus or bacteria or or several. But it's worth looking at other things. Uh, it seems to be very hard once people get good and committed. You know, people, it seems to be hard to do that. They get wedded to certain theories. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, for example, with, uh, although it, it would help if it was something that you could, you know, we don't really have a good experimental model in non-humans. It takes a long time to try anything because this is a slow process. You know, there are, there are real reasons why this work is difficult, but uh, I think it would be a good idea if we, looked at some alternatives. I mean, I'm not even saying completely stop what we're doing, but, mm-hmm. you know, spread it some. Uh, okay. But uh, but in terms, but I think one of the interesting things is all the stuff that people are sure must. I mean, like I have no trouble finding people who are convinced that having more money will make you smarter. And that is, explains a lot of social differences. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, all the evidence that we ha- have suggests it's pretty much the other way around. That being money. smarter makes oh. you moderately wealthier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, by the way, sometimes in at least partly artificial ways, like credentialism, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be a doctor unless you can pass medical school. Now, now there have been someone who suggested that, you know, you just let people work their way up from being, uh, you know, uh, know, the guy who, uh, uh, you know, cleans the floors in the hospital and anybody could do it. That's probably not very true. Uh, But, uh, uh, it is true that credentials play at least some role in YIQ, except I think we will probably know more about this in the near future because, you know, with these PRS scores, suppose we dug up a bunch of people from 1800 and we knew, let's suppose it's England, so we know something about those people. We have a lot of records. Uh, I think there's every indication that the people who are wealthier will be at least moderately smarter than the people who were landless laborers. Not yeah. infinitely so, but some. Okay. And, and with the PRS scores, particularly if we can look at a group, we could show that, uh, that, that as far as we can tell, they were somewhat smarter. Uh, 
And then you could also be looking for other things like time trends, uh, uh, which, you know, uh, Greg Clark is coming out with a book soon called uh, For Whom the Bell Curve Tolls. Mm-hmm. The general theme of the book is that uh, there has been a differential reproduction between classes at different times. And sometimes that has had the effect of causing IQ to increase over time and other times to decrease over time, depending mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on those fertility patterns. Uh, like right now, it's decreasing, <laughs> yes. uh, which is another reason to be a little concerned. And uh, another reason to create a lot of John von Neumanns. We've got to reverse it, the tail end at least. Uh, but anyways, we've, we've said we'd do it about an hour today, so I think we're, we've gone okay. a bit past that. So uh, thank you very much, Greg, and um, we'll, we'll okay. be talking again.